0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. <laughs> We're reading from Psalm 8. So verse one: O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes And also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Thanks, Jesse. And guys, welcome to the King's Church. My name is Steve Dockrath, I'm pastor here. It's uh, great to have you all here with us. Um, as we uh, jump in here, just want to... Uh, ask a question as we think about uh, Psalm 8 and specifically kind of how uh, David uh, structures his psalm and talking about God's name. That's a really important kind of theme throughout the psalm. And I, I was thinking about how names carry uh, a lot of important meanings, right? Um, those of you who are, are parents in the room know how, how long you thought and thought and thought about what to name your kids. Um, Margot, our, our third born. Um, she almost left the hospital without a name because we weren't sure what to call her. Uh, we were really going back and forth for a long time. But just thinking about how names are, are so important, even throughout history. Um, July 1776, uh, you guys know the story of John Hancock. Uh, he signed the Declaration of Independence with that big signature, right, you guys? And it's still to this day called kind of your, your John Hancock, putting your signature down on important documents. Um, his, his name kind of has become synonymous with those big, um, important moments. Uh, 1964, uh, most famous boxer, Cassius Clay, changed his name to Muhammad Ali, right, you guys are listening, great, to, to align himself, identify himself with Islam, um, and, and for a lot of reasons, honestly, but uh, he, he thought to change his name, that was an important part of his story. Um, even, even my own name, uh, Stephen Youngchul Coppenrath. you guys now know my own name, Youngchul, and that that tells a story, in a way, there's a, a lot kind of to be unpacked there, the fact that I was Born in Korea and adopted at the age of three and then kind of came over here. And so I have this whole kind of backstory that maybe one day we'll get into. But there's uh, there's, a, there's kind of importance to that name. There's importance to the fact that my parents uh, actually thought to give me that middle name that allowed me to hang on to that. And so as we look at Psalm 8, uh, Psalm 8 in a similar way makes a, a bold but truthful claim that there is, first of all, only one God and his name is Yahweh. And there's something that is unique and powerful and important about knowing his name and knowing that his name is associated with certain character traits. And I think that Psalms is, um, in some ways, very much about us understanding who God's character is. Uh, We kind of have been flushing this out the last few weeks, talking about how Psalms has been this, this opportunity, this gift to be able to. Um, have some some words some context of how to interact and how we feel about God how we feel about life how we call out to him and cry out to him but I, I think uh, as we see in Psalm 8 there's oftentimes Psalms give, gives us uh, words to articulate who God is and what he is like as well on that flip side and so his name is he's Yahweh his name is majestic it's it's meaning it's it's worthy of our praise and so Psalm 8 will make a case for God's glory And it's going to tell you some things that hopefully you know about him already. It's going to tell you that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's going to tell you that he he is the maker of all things. That, as I mentioned earlier, that he is the only one in all creation that is worthy of worship. You see, this truth is said in verse 1. If you look at Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord... Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it's bracketed all the way at the end of verse 9. Again, uh, it says the same thing. "O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's repeated there. And Psalm uh, 8 is bracketed by this declaration of majesty of God's glory. Start to end throughout all life. God's glory is at stake. So look at the remainder of this passage, and we'll walk through this, but I want you guys to see another kind of theme before we jump into some points here this morning. Uh, we see that God has accomplished so much, and it's, it's evidenced through Psalm 8. And we see this uh, over and over again where it says, You have, in verse 1, you have set your glory. Verse 2, you have established strength. Uh, down in verse 3, you have set in place those moons, the moon and the stars. Uh, verse 5, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Verse 6, you have given him dominion. You have put all things under his feet. And it's, it's interesting that you see the six times you have is repeated over and over again. And things that are repeated are important. Right, parents? Isn't that, isn't that true? Um, growing up, I can remember my dad telling me over and over again, turn off the lights. Um and if you kind of think back to your childhood, you'll probably remember your parents saying things over and over again, and it's because it's important to them, right? They they wanted to conserve energy, or they wanted to make sure that you had good manners at the table, or so you repeat things that are important to you over and over again. And so six times throughout Psalm 8, we see, you have established, and it's like the psalmist is saying, look at who is the active agent in the psalm. This is all about God. This is all about the work of his hands. So... Let me give away the agenda here. Uh, what, what do we do when we encounter a God like this? When we see a God for all he is, all he has created, the maker of all things, I, I hope, and I think the psalmist would hope as well, that we couldn't help ourselves but fall down in worship to a God like this. And, and that would be my encouragement to you, church, as well. As we read about who God is, as we get into Psalm 8 a little bit more, that we would have this posture of worship and gratitude Because God is is so amazing. He's so majestic. How majestic is his name throughout all the earth. And so as we get into it, I want to pull four things from this psalm. I want you to see four things this morning as we walk through. First of all, if you're taking notes, number one, God's name is majestic because of his glory. Because of his glory. These verses point to three places where we see God's glory over and over again. In kind of the macro and in the micro. We see three places. We see the heavens. We see the helpless, and we see the heinous. All right, we'll, we'll get into that in just a minute. The heavens, the helpless, and the heinous. Let's start with the most obvious place, the heavens. Verse 1 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, the psalmist says, You have set your glory above the heavens. All right, so it's it's obvious to any of us who have seen a beautiful sunset before, um, or, or maybe if you're, you're really, you know, you get up early, you see a sunrise, uh, really amazing. If you get out of the pollution of the city, if you see the stars in the desert or up in the mountains, uh, do yourself a favor. If you've never done that, done that before, go out to Joshua Tree, go to Big Bear sometime, go and see the stars. There, it's amazing how many people who live in Southern California have never seen stars before. There, it's, it's really breathtaking to realize how God has placed his glory uh, above the heavens. Psalm 8, 1 and 19, 1 uh, says that what many of us have experienced already, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That's what it says in Psalm 19:1. And so when a Christian, when you look out and see a sunset or a sunrise, we realize that the heavens exist as a signature, a reminder of how big and how creative and how majestic our God is. The second place we see God's glory is in the helpless. And I want to keep reading here in verse 2. This may not be as obvious, but it's just as true. Um, It says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes. So, what does the psalmist mean here? I, I think what he's talking about here is that God uses weak things to show his glory. That's what he's pointing to here. He, he, he uses weakness to overcome strength. He uses the, the weakest, most health, helpless infant to overcome the might of an entire army. Think of a, a baby's first words, think of a, a baby's first steps and, and milestones. And while it's celebrated by mom and dad, honestly, no one's going to be blown away by the fact that little baby said, you know, mama or dad or whatever. Like, and it took a few steps. Like, that's, that's not going to move anything for anybody else. For mom and dad, it's a big deal. But that's exactly the point. God's glory and his strength are most visible, most on display, not when there is something impressive to be seen, but when we see something that is weak. And we realize that we are actually dependent on him for our strength. And that is the core message of the gospel, by the way, that in our weakness, we can rely on somebody who's stronger. And so there's many of us in this room who have grown up in settings and households where we think that we have to prove ourselves to be strong and impressive and for people to to think that we're uh, we're accomplished. And the gospel says it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what you've accomplished. Uh, There is a God who loves you and has done the work for you. And so you don't have to be perfect because God has been perfect on your behalf. And in fact, the weaker you are, the more strong God appears to be. And so this is one of the good news that we see here in Psalm 8, verse 2. The third place we see God's glory is in his ability to deal with the heinous. Heinous simply means the wicked, the cruel, the evil. And in Psalm 8, the heinous are the enemy and the avenger. Verse 2 says, God has the strength to still his foes. What does that mean, to still his foes? Uh, the word still is the same word used as uh, for Sabbath. It's to cease. It's to stop. And, and the psalmist says that God's power, his might, is so strong that he can stop the enemy in their tracks. Uh, now, let's start with that second name first, the Avenger. Okay, so what is this you know Marvel MCU reference we find here? It's not quite it. Okay, the the Avenger is anyone uh, is anyone who's going to take God's work uh, into their his his own her hands his or her own hands. And we even talked about this last week in Psalm three, if you guys recall, that we are to rely on God and God alone to defend us. And the moment that we step out of our lane and say, you know what, I'm, I'm so upset, I'm so angry, I, I, I need to take this into my own hands, we fall into this category of avenger or somebody who decides that they're going to take vengeance into their own hand when we see throughout all scripture that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And according to verse 2, God has the strength to do all that is necessary to stop this avenger anyway. Um, who is the enemy? We see this as well in Psalm 8, verse 2, to still the enemy. John 10:1 says it clearly that Satan is the one to steal, kill, and destroy. That he is the enemy uh, of the Christian, of, of God Himself, and and so God has this power to stop him in his place. But finally, I, I mentioned this already, but this power is really gospel power. That is that is the power that we as Christians claim over our enemies. Romans 1 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So just to review this first point, God is jealous for his own glory. He wants, to, he wants us to see his power and his might and how his name is majestic in every area of your life. And so you look to the sky, you see his glory They are hung above the stars. You look to the weak of this world. You can see God's glory abound in strength because of the weakness around us. You look to evil in this world and we see God stopping the enemy in his tracks. God is is glorious and his name is majestic because of his glory. Uh, Point number two is this. God's name is majestic because of his love. Look at verse three. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? David begins to scratch a trajectory that I think it's important for every Christian in this room to walk down this path. And here's what I mean by this. I think that I would go so far as to say there are certain pathways within the Christian journey that every believer has to come face to face with. And it's a part of our growth. It's a part of making our faith our own. When you begin to understand the vastness, the greatness of God's power and glory and might, all his plans, all his power, you begin to start to feel small. Uh, I I remember I I went through this kind of journey point in college. And I remember a a professor at APU in a Bible class talking to us about uh, God's glory, and, and just kind of these verses and verses like this in the Psalms, and how how great our God is, how big He is, how powerful He is. And guys, it's it's natural to hear that and realize if you hear that long enough and completely enough, that you start to think about your place in that story, in how small it is. And again, it's important that we walk down that path as believers that we kind of realize. Who we are in relationship to God, and this is exactly what David is doing and has done. Perhaps it started on a cold, uh, you know, starry night when he was out as a shepherd, uh, watching over sheep, just looking up at the stars and and realizing, like, wow, like God, you created all of this. You created all of this, the moon and the stars, and not only the the greatness of the work of His hands, but the vastness, but the intricacies of God's handiwork too. Verse three talks about the work of your fingers. And it makes me think about uh, maybe some of you even in this room are really good at you know knitting that, that really small thread through a needle or working on something very small in, in a project that takes a lot of detail and work. Maybe some of you are painters and, and you know what it takes to get that shading right or that corner right just perfectly correct. Um, I read one time about how when a child is conceived and and God's handiwork in relationship to how kids are, are grown in the womb. And as a child starts to grow in the womb just a few weeks in, did you know that the eye of a growing baby in the womb goes through this process where every baby starts with this eyelid that's very large? And then at a certain point, their tiny little eyeball creates this little razor, and it splits the eyelid in half. And then after it splits perfectly in half, it gets absorbed back into the eye, and it's like just like God's kind of way of creating what's this amazing detail, this thing that's so uh, pragmatic and important for people to see, and God does it in this way uh, that just is, is mind-boggling. And this this process, this it sings God's glory, the work of His fingers, and so again you start to go down this road. Man, I'm like a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a worm. I'm a flea. I'm a speck compared to all God that you are spinning in the universe at any given time now as as important as it is to start that realization it's equally vital to finish it because while the work of his fingers is overwhelming that same God is mindful of you and me and this is what's amazing about God's love for us he has us in mind while he is spinning the world into motion while he's uh making making people that's amazing right like he's creating human beings and overseeing those processes he has us in mind he knows us by name he deeply cares about you and what you're going through the truth that god loves us should ignite our hearts with worship it should light up our hearts with praise for our creator because By the way, we are not just some morally neutral creation, right? We're not just by nature team Yahweh. That's not who we are. No, actually because of our sin, Ephesians says that by nature we are children of wrath. That's who we started off as. And so what are we? Who are we that God would even give us a second thought? He has every right to leave us in our sin, and yet he he thinks about us. He's mindful of us. And so when you and I humble ourselves and, and realize, you know, I don't want to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. When we bow our knees to the King of Kings, when we confess our sins and God would take us in that humility, that process of repentance, it also glorifies the Lord as well. Which means this, we don't have to be perfect to glorify God. We just need to be humble and repentant. And so we can all fall in line with the rest of creation to glorify God. Listen, as I'm talking, maybe um, this morning you wrestle with receiving God's love for you. That uh, that the Creator of the universe, this this strong and powerful being out there, knows you and loves you and cares about you, knows you by name. That that's just too kind of beyond your comprehension. I, I understand that that might be the case for you. But here's a a bit more proof to assure us of his love. And that's point number three. God's name is majestic because of his grace. God's love is proven through his grace to you and I. And we read this in verses five through eight. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor you have given him a dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. God evidences love for us through his grace towards us. And we see this through verses 5 through 8. We see that God in his grace shares things with us. When we love people, we share things with them. Isn't that true of you? Um, I've seen this in my friendships. I've seen this in my parenting. I've seen this in my work relationships. Like how often do we see uh, a great new movie? And what do we say? We t- tell our friends, right? We, you have to see this movie. I want you to have this experience that I had that that lifted me up to this, this place where I was just excited to see this thing. You have to see it too. You have to experience that too. How often do we go to a, a new restaurant and we experience a good meal, and we're like, you have to go to this restaurant and have this same exact meal. As, it doesn't matter if you don't like fish. You have to eat it anyway, right? Like, there's, there's this sense in us that we want to share what is good uh, with those that we love. We want to pass it along. Um, how often times do we as parents try and pass along what we love to our kids? To their chagrin, right? Like, they're always frustrated about it. But, like, like I played soccer. So are you, right? I love soccer. I love football, so you have to play football, right? Or watch the, the old cringy movies, right, Owen, that I make you guys watch, right, from the 80s. And they're like, why do you make us watch this stuff? And they roll their eyes. But where does this stem from? It stems from my love for them because when you love somebody, you share things with them. You say, I, I want you to experience this in the same way I have experienced this. Now, now think about my shoddy father, fatherhood work, right, and the way I share things with my kids. Man, God is the perfect father. He is the perfect father. He is the best of friends. And so when God created something, and he said, hey, I want to share this with you. I want to love you through giving you access to this. I want to give you actually uh, authority over it. And he blesses them. In Genesis 1:28, he says, be fruitful Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God, as a good and perfect father, he shares this with us in creation. And David has this in mind in verses 5 through 8. God gives his image bearers the right to rule and have dominion over all the things that he has created. To share in the good things that God has done. So he, he lets some things off, the sheep, the, the oxen, the beast, the birds, and the fish. So those are a little bit, okay, that's interesting, but none of us probably have many of those animals in our life. But I mean, for those of you who are animal lovers, the list continues, right? Do you realize that actually in the last three years, scientists have discovered 24 new species of animals in the last three years alone? And so think about how many, How many animals, how many creatures that God has created for us to enjoy and we haven't even met them yet. In the Gulf of Mexico, they discovered a new whale. Like, how do you miss a whale, right? (laughs) It's a whale. The kind of variety that God is sharing with us. He didn't have to do that, right? But he does because he loves us. Because he wants to be gracious to us. In fact, do you know what it's called when God does all the work, and we reap all the benefits. It's called grace. And the very fact that God created this world and he allowed us to oversee it in the way he does, the, the way he allowed us to, allows us to, um, uh, to be stewards of this world, it's, it's a grace to us. He does all the work. He pays the price. We get to share in all the benefits. And here's the thing we know. We know that when it comes to God, it's the highest of quality. Because his name is majestic. And his name is a guarantee that what he does is good. And so forget any other brand name that you might know. Forget Disney or Audi or whatever kind of name moves the dial for you. Whatever that is. God's name is other. It's difference. And God's invitation to share in his creation is gracious and generous beyond understanding. The last thing I want to point you to here as we wrap this psalm up is this, God's name is magnified through the Son of Man. God's name is magnified through the Son of Man. If you look at Psalm 8, and I don't know how it's laid out for you on your Bible, but right in the middle of the entire Psalm, we see a phrase that that I blocked out and I encourage you guys to do so as well. It says, Son of Man. In Hebrew, it means Bar Adam. And these are words 40, 41, and 42 out of 76 words in the Psalm. So it's literally dead center. And I, I think I think the psalmist, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has left us this phrase here for an important reason. The Son of Man is used all the time throughout the Old Testament. Ezekiel uses it 93 times. And this is not just the name of a, a child or a person. This is the promised Savior. This is the Messiah. If you fast forward to the New Testament Gospels, this is one of Jesus' favorite terms for himself. We fast forward to Revelation. John will say two times that one like the son of man is is coming soon. And so, who is this in reference to church? Jesus. 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 That's the church's answer. That's the right answer. I want you to realize, listen, that this psalm being about God's glory, that's the whole point of it, right? That we would worship God, that we would see him as majestic, that we would see him as as, as creator, as the one who is, is above any other. This whole psalm at the heart, at the dead center, is the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one who glorifies God more than anyone else. Jesus at the center, he glorifies God. The eternal existence of Jesus glorifies God the birth the life and the death of jesus glorifies god the obedience of jesus glorifies god and his resurrection and his rule and reign is the centerpiece of all creation and so how do we see tangibly how do we if we don't if we can't see the stars at night if we if we are unable for some reason to see the the, his glory at work how do we see god's glory In display, more than anything else, look to Jesus. Look to his work. How do we see the ultimate nature of love on display? More than anything else, more than anyone else, look to the work and the person of Jesus Christ. How do we see that God is gracious to us? How do we understand that he has done all the work so we can just reap the benefits? Look to the person and the work of Jesus Christ who paid our debt and embodies grace to everyone who believes. What a majestic name our Lord has. And I hope that as you see Psalm 8, as you understand how his name is so great, that you would recognize his name, that it would be important to you, and especially as we understand the Son of Man being Jesus. Uh, Let me close with this, just a little story. On April 30th, 2013, uh, there was an author by the name of Robert Galbraith, who released his crime novel, uh, Cuckoo's Calling. Anybody read this book before? No? So it it barely sold 500 copies in the first few months, and many actually store owners were considering taking it off the shelves because it was kind of a flop. But the news hit on July 14th, just three months later, that changed all that because Galbraith, it was announced, was not the true author, and the true author was J.K. Rowling. And so J.K. Rowling actually wrote and published this book uh, by a different name. And from there, the sales skyrocketed, right? So this book was super popular after that. It quickly rose to the top of bestseller lists. The mere mere mention of the name Rowling has changed everything. And I want to suggest to you as as we close in a similar way, if not a more profound way, that the name of, of Jesus Christ should impact Christians in the same way. That when you hear the name of Jesus, it should launch our hearts into worship. As the psalmist titles here in Psalm 8, his name is majestic in all the all the earth. He is the king we worship and trust. Let's go to him now in prayer. Let's bow our, hearts, bow our heads. God, we're grateful for uh, this reminder of, of who you are and, and what you've done. God, how majestic is your name. I just pray, Lord, that we would spend more time as Christians and as a church, reflecting on your greatness. God, sometimes it's so easy to be wrapped up in what we accomplish on our own, what we do on our own, and and how our our lives are are so important to us, the comings and goings. And Lord, would you allow us to lift our heads at times and be reminded by your glory in the skies? Would Would you point out for us explicit ways how your glory is at work in the people around us, in the strong and in the weak? God, would you remind us when we are discouraged in this life and we're up against it and the enemy seems to have our number, God, would you remind us that you have the strength and power to defeat the enemy on our behalf? And God, more than anything else, would the name of your son, Jesus, be glorified in our life? Would we realize how big a deal he is, how glorious he is, and how much he brings glory to your name? God, would you remind us daily? God, we love you. We thank you for this reminder from Psalm 8. We pray that we would be faithful and and worship and as a response. We praise your name. Amen.